to the one who loves us and has set us free from our sins at the cost of his own blood and has appointed us as a kingdom, as priests serving his God and Father. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Seasoned firewood for sale. Seasoned firewood. That's the sign I saw, a great big sign on a building, a brick building driving out of Gloucester on 128. Seasoned firewood for sale. And I got to thinking, why did God design us to need heat? Why did he design us to need anything at all? He could have designed us as self-sufficient, self-replicating beings, but he didn't. In Eden, even before the fall, Adam and Eve needed food. Right in the first chapter of the Bible, the very first chapter, we find eating instructions. Adam and Eve were told that every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. Food wouldn't be made available if there was no desire or, hungry, or hunger to eat it, right? So I figured it's safe to say Adam and Eve had desire designed into them. Adam and Eve were not like R2, were not like Data or Seven of Nine on Star Trek or, okay, R2-D2 on Star Wars for those fans. They weren't like them who needed no food. Adam and Eve's all-wise, all-good, all-loving God had reasons for putting desire features into his humans. And when I ask myself, yeah, but why? I think, well, desire gets us moving. It leads us to experiences, some of which build us up, some of which will crush us, all of which are instrumental in uncovering our true identity and calling, which we heard in the passage from Revelation is to be a kingdom, to be priests serving God and his Father, serving God the Father. All of us here are to be a kingdom, to be priests serving God as serving God as priests. So like an acorn trying to imagine the magnificence of an oak tree, which it's meant to become someday, we might be vague on exactly how God's going to pull this off in us. Which is why I think God created the earth as a sort of school with us as its students. And for Adam and Eve, the lesson started right away. Lesson one, you have needs designed into you. Unfulfilled, you will die. Lesson two, these needs will prepare you and equip you for your identity as a kingdom, your calling as serving God as priests. 
and there will be countless lessons between that first lesson and the later ones in God's school of transformation. Transformation is the key. Today, in our mini-series on the Eucharist, we're focusing on wine. That's a fun sentence to say. (laughs) And the blood of Christ. Last week, Ken and Tim reminded us that bread has been one of the core foods throughout history. Similarly, wine has been one of the core drinks throughout history. Like wheat, wine takes a lot of work. There's prepping the fields, planting the seeds or vines, watering it if there's no rain, there's no irrigation systems. And after the grapes grow, they need to be picked and then moved, not to a millstone, but to, like wheat, but to a wine press. The yellow, light yellow wheat, which once blew in the breeze, and the red grapes plump with juice, get killed and transformed under the weight of stones. They're transformed. The millstone transforms it into wheat so it can become flour and bread. And the wine wine press transforms it into wine, transforms the grapes to become wine. It's all the transformation. Transformation is key. And there's a parallel between the grapes and us. Like grapes, we're often pressed into crushing circumstances, which end up transforming us. So I'm embarrassed to say, I'll give an example, that um, when I had our first child, um, I was so thrown for a loop. I I just was, what? Um, All through high school college, New York City. I was used to being a leader. Get it done. I had a schedule. My calendar at college was blocked out by the 15-minute segments. I had two phones. This was way before cell phones. I had one in my room and one in the hall. No one had them in their room. I mean, it was just, stuff happened on schedule. It was organized. And then you have a baby. (laughs) A completely different paradigm gets ushered in. Suddenly, you're not in charge anymore. You're on a roller coaster. I have always hated roller coasters. You will never find me on one. You are just riding their schedule. And if they want to eat every hour and a half, because breast milk is less thick than formula, and Dr. Spock did not pick that up. He said every four hours. And I'm thinking every four hours. And this is every hour and a half. What? What? It just was really hard. Um, happily, when grapes get transformed, they turn into wine, which can gladden the heart of man. But you know what? In my transformation story, I, well, I ended up not with wine, but with a beautiful daughter. And God began a massive paradigm shift in me, like, yeah. I'm the leader, and you're going to be a servant. So let's start switching this around right now. And we have servanthood. Just you be a servant. This gladdening of the wine is a foretaste of the joy set before us, unless you get drunk. Paul tells us in Ephesians, do not get drunk on wine. For that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. 
underneath the various words for debauchery are words like dissipation, depravity. It's, but it's all rooted in the Greek word asotia, ah meaning against, and sozo meaning wholeness in body, mind, and spirit. Drunkenness leads us away from wholeness in body, mind, and spirit. So if we're on board for being transformed into our role here and in the life to come, we want to move towards wholeness, not away from it. So transformation is the key to keep us moving. Let's return to the wine. Yes, there is gladness of the heart from wine. It says that in Scripture. But there's an even greater gladness when wine gets turned into blood of Jesus during communion. Remember hearing Jesus saying in our gospel today, there's tough words to hear, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. And then he doubles down with, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. True food, true drink. What does he mean? Well, the Greek word for true is alethes, which means what can't be hidden. The word stresses an undeniable reality when something will ultimately be shown to be fact. As Anglicans, we believe that it is a true fact that bread and wine take into their molecules the presence of Christ. They are simultaneously like Jesus, fully of the earth and fully divine. It happens when the priest prays, Sanctify them by your word and Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. This is a supernatural transformation taking place up there. It's a transformation that reveals an undeniable reality of true food and true wine, which are They have the body and blood of Christ in them. Examples, both natural and supernatural, abound in the scriptures. We are way more comfortable with natural. We like, well, let's take Esther. Twelve months of beauty treatments. (laughs) I don't know, the, the slave people, you know, like pressing perfume. Six months pressing oil of myrrh into her. Six months of perfumes and cosmetics into her, transforming her from a Jewish woman into a queen. Another natural process, grapes turning into wine. It's the supernatural transformations that begin to give us pause. God came to earth, okay, and walked fully as walked as a man, fully human and fully divine. That's a stretch for a lot of people. Jesus transformed water into wine. Thomas Jefferson took all those miracles out of his Bible, apparently. 
I mean, it's much shorter New Testament, no miracles. Sick people were transformed into well people. In the Eucharist, the Holy Spirit transforms table wine into holy wine, filled with the presence of Jesus. And when we consume the holy bread and the holy wine, our very bodies are transformed at a cellular and spiritual level. The blood of Christ transforms us from sinners into new creations in Christ. Transformation is the key in all of these instances. Ancient Jews taught that life is in the blood. They had been taught by Moses. This is how it went down. Life is in the blood. When God wanted to form a covenant with Abraham and Moses, the blood of animals would be sacramentally used to ratify or consecrate a covenant. When we, in the Eucharist, drink the wine filled with the presence of Christ... We remember when a soldier stabbed his spear into Jesus' side and water and blood poured out. The priest adds water to the cup at the altar to better replicate the blood and water from Jesus' side. When we drink from the cup, two things are happening. We're acknowledging actually a covenant, a new covenant between ourselves and Jesus, who has set us free from our sins at the cost of his own blood. And secondly, since life is in the blood, and we know that Jesus' life is now in us, we will be Christ's own forever, and we are transformed. It's an existential level change in our bodies in our souls, and our spirits. Such knowledge strengthens me and calms me. Like when I had a flu shot a few weeks ago, just a tiny prick or a communion, sip, dip, or pour, my body starts getting transformed at the cellular level so that I maybe won't have a bad thing of flu. Or if I do get it, it'll be just, it'll coast right past me, like a stone on water. It won't really hit me that badly. And medicine gives us the precedent, doesn't it? Jonas Salk with his polio vaccine. Maurice Hilleman's shots eradicated measles, mumps, and rubella. Edward Jenner's vaccine eradicated smallpox. Jesus said the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy I came, this is Jesus talking, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I want, and I think we want, this life which is in the blood. Disease wants to steal, kill, and destroy through polio, you know, measles. All these diseases were killing people. But we want to fulfill the calling of being a kingdom, serving God as priests. We don't want to be part of the millions of people who are dying. We want to be part of the millions of people that are living 
and bringing new life and goodness to the world. So our diseases and sinful thoughts and deeds get washed away by the blood of Christ to the cup of salvation. Here again, our gospel. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. The blood of Christ gives us that life. Transformation is the key in every stage of our lives. In our own lives, God uses both the wine press of challenges and suffering upon us, but also the hand press of life's perfume, the sun coming in this beautiful day and warming us, giving life to flowers and trees, animals, us. Day by day, we are being transformed spiritually, emotionally, behaviorally, existentially, so that someday, maybe today, we'll see that we are a kingdom. Right now, a kingdom serving Jesus' God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. This is a lot to absorb. There's a song that came to my attention. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, called Remembrance by Matt Mayer. And I'm just going to read a couple of um, lyrics from that song. I think they capture a prayer that we have right now in this moment. Oh, God, how could it be that you would welcome me into this mystery. You'd say, take this bread, take this wine, now the simple made divine for any to receive. By mercy, we come to your table. By your grace, you are making us faithful. Lord, move in us. Help us be willing to be transformed in whatever ways you know are needed. We offer you ourselves and lay ourselves open to be transformed. In Jesus' name and for his sake.